Today on Parent Time, we talk tinkering as we chat to one of Australia's hardest working children's acts, Nene, on Benny asking people questions. My guest today has been on the Australian children's television scene for quite some time, both as the host of Nickelodeon Savo and also as the voice and puppeteer of Hootabelle on ABC's Giggle and Hoot. But she has finally gone out solo and released her debut album, Hey Hey, Let's Play, one of the most endearingly honest and fun albums for children in recent years. I'm, of course, talking about Naomi Young, a.k.a. Nene, and she joins me here today. Hello. Thank you. Hey, Vinny. Um... You've just uh, been to Miami for Kids Screen. I'm assuming you were over there just sharing your work and, and selling it. Mm-hmm. Um, is, are our kids in good hands? What's, what's going on? What's, yeah. what's hot off the press? Look, it was, um, it was my first time going to Kids Screen and uh, Kids Screen is in essentially an international conference for kids entertainers, distributors, broadcasters, producers, uh, toy marketers to come together. And there's a lot of there's a lot of talks through the week, so um, you can go and hear about what's going on with, you know, the new different uh, platforms that kids are watching their content on, and how to navigate that, or how to monetize that, or there might be a there was an amazing keynote. Um, from a gentleman who spoke about uh, pushing caring into kids again, how yeah, we're sure. pushing to happiness or achievement as opposed to being creating kind or caring kids. And so yeah, inspiring talks like that. But to be honest, the chaos kind of really happens on the delegates floor where people are wheeling and dealing and trying to pitch their products to people. And did you get involved in that? Oh, you betcha. <laughs> it's like I felt like a ninja. Like so I had a backpack full of like my documents and albums and business cards business cards are huge over there you basically meet someone in the lift and you exchange business cards and I swear I came back with a pile probably about 15 centimeters high of really amazing business cards um and you know people who had mine so it was good and yeah you I was essentially trying to pitch uh Nene and my tv idea tinker time to an international market and it was good it felt really on point I think that's quite validating when you're going up 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 don't forget the down from that, talking about the Wiggles thing, so where did it all start? How did you find yourself at Kids Screen? Like, because you you studied acting, didn't you? And because you actually were a teacher. Yeah, I've um, have had a bit of a mixed career, I suppose. Um, as a child, uh, while well, you know, just being in school, I grew up singing, dancing, and acting. So I did quite a lot of musical theatre. Did professional work with the Australian Opera Children's Chorus. Did lots of ads. Did lots of TV guest roles, things like that. Had agents and managers and. So on. So when it kind of got to time to go to university, mum and dad being university folk wanted me to go and, you know, get a good backup, I suppose. So I did, um, <laughs> I did media and cultural studies, which I was also really interested in because I like the idea of journalism and uh, those sorts of fields. Um, but through university kept doing acting. So at various times, much to mum and dad's dismay, I'd go, I'm dropping out of this semester because I've just got a job with Nickelodeon <laughs> and I'm touring around Australia, taking over the schools and pouring slime on yeah, teachers' but I heads. I'll get back to the but I, job. yeah, I definitely, I'll just deferred, you know, and I'll come back. So it took a little while to finish that first degree with all those dalliances. And then um, I think at the end of it, when I was acting, you know, to be brutally honest like that's a it's a difficult industry to navigate Mm. and as you kind of get to some of those nice formative years in those early 20s and you start kind of thinking what am I actually going to do with my life because even as a successful 
actor, which at the time I was getting quite a lot of work, you might still only work, you know, days working 25% of the year. And I learned you know, as I learnt about myself, I'm not someone who sits idle well at all. I, I definitely get that impression. <laughs> so I'm always kind of busy and then, but you know, you need a really good way to channel that kind of busyness and that need of doing. So I ended up, um, mum, my mum's a teacher and she was said, well, why don't you do a diploma of education on top of your degree? So I did one very hard year of that diploma of education at Macquarie University and did, oh, did, was it in, in 0 to 12 was it primary no school? secondary actually okay, yep. um, which is funny <laughs> kind of given where I've mm. kind of landed but I really like teenagers I um, I quite like how you know I like the way their brains work I like the way they're forming ideas and I like that you know they're quite egocentric and that makes for really hot topical conversations sometimes yeah. and so did English drama and then ended up teaching just casually you know because I was going to be an actor and then I got into education and realized that oh wow I really love this I love kind of the daily reward of teaching Mm. and and really enjoyed that but then I fell pregnant so you know took some time off to raise babies. All this time you're still going off and doing there was obviously still acting jobs coming in. Yeah look I, I slowly when I was in education, I very much pushed that aside. I, I, I pushed it away as my priority. Mm. Um, I was probably, at the time, not really liking the fact that you'd go to an audition and someone would go, ah, oh, she's too young. And then the yeah, next sure. one, they go, ah, oh, she's too old. Ah, oh, yeah, she's sure. too fat. Ah, oh, she's too yeah, thin. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, all of that. I was kind of like, ah, oh, that's not my worth. You know, I found that really frustrating. Mm. So, you know, when I was achieving a lot in the education realm, that was far more satisfying yeah, as a sure. human. And I guess I was nesting too. You know, I'd just been married and we were pregnant and having babies. And Before I had Tallow, who was my second born, I got called in by the ABC to audition for Giggle and Hoot. So this is prior, you'd already done Savo with Nickelodeon? I'd done Savo, yeah, I'd done Savo and Nickelodeon when, yeah, I was probably in my late teens, early 20s kind of time. Worked with the Wiggles in around about the same time. Um, and then, yeah, when I, you know, I guess I had a, you know, time in education and... Yeah, I was going to say, because so, even as an actor, uh, and you're saying at that time you sort of hadn't necessarily been focusing on kids things. It seems like all the work you're getting was related to that. Is this because is that just a natural thing that came yeah, through in I you? Think, or? I just think, you know, people are suited to certain roles, mm. you know. Um, one of my best friends, Penny McNamee, who's currently on Home and Away, we always laughed because she is an actor and she constantly kept getting cast as a vampire or a dead person. And we were like, clearly you just have a face that looks dead on screen. Yeah, I have a good <laughs> friend of mine who's just constantly a World War II yeah, uh, like, prisoner. Yeah, you're like, that guy, he's just a pirate, you know. Yeah. And I think when it came to kids' content, I have, you know, listened yeah. to the – I have quite a young-sounding voice. True. Um, I have a, you know, big, wide flat face with a big smile sure. and bright eyes and I think that's just kind of where that landed yes, it was yeah. a connectedness I also I love presenting work um mm. when I kind of look back on my acting stuff I'm a bit like nah I don't believe you whereas presenting when it was just me being me down the barrel of the camera let's play 
there was obviously an immediate affiliate, like doing the Wiggles things and doing this. Like there was obviously a part of you that maybe you weren't saying out loud. You're going, actually, this feels really comfortable. Yeah, anyway. I love kids and I loved, you know, I loved doing live events. And with the Wiggles, was, it was probably within their first 10, 12, 15 years, I suppose. But, it, you know, they were, they were filling entertainment centres full of mm. screaming kids and to kind of dance and sing alongside them and look up. You know, there's something so pure about a kid's audience. It's just amazing. Like, they, you know when they don't like it. You know when they love it. You know when they're connected. You, I love that there's a kid down the front where you can be going full flight in a show and he will just interrupt until he is heard. And I was like, excuse me! You know, and you're kind of like, okay, the show can't go on until this kid has said his piece. And I'm like, that is so guttural and amazing and what a great reaction. And also their response, I was talking to the teeny tiny stevies you know oh, yeah. yeah i was talking to them recently i did an interview with them and we're, the other thing we're noting about performing to children is they won't actually respond in a way that you imagine they should out of appreciation like their yeah. version of appreciation That's is right. talking over the top of you or running around yeah you know and as or just before, sitting still and silent yeah. and watching and that always that always i find a little bit it's something i've had to get used to is because you want you want the kid who's jumping up and down or singing along, but some of them will just stand dead still mm. and they'll just watch you. And that is intently like that's intensely focused, but that is really unnerving. Like, uh, yeah. and you're kind of like trying to gauge is this a watching or an enjoyment? And you know, I really like as you kind of you know, uh, like YouTube kind of talks about three E's, right? And one of them is engagement and that kid who's just standing and staring is purely engaged you know their eyeballs are on you and they are watching like nothing is distracting them and that's you know that's just a reaction that you have to get used to so at some point from doing um you know you obviously got the hootabell gig was that kind of strange because you did the puppeteering as well yep, didn't I did. you did I they did give the you like a crash course well or? first I started as a broccoli so let's let's get the timeline clear I was employed as an opera singing broccoli yep. for the first while yep. in the show called the Gigglearium which yep. was a part of Giggle and Hoot and as I said I was hugely pregnant when I auditioned and I went in and they were like this is great you're hired and I'm like oh, I'm about to drop a baby and yeah. they were like okay well go and have the baby and then when you're you know when you're back on your feet um and I've always been a working mum so then come back in and we'll shoot and that was that was amazing like it was um working with Jimmy who's Jimmy Giggle who Mm. also did a voice and puppeteer role in that particular thing and Hamish Fletcher who at that time was Hoot and so the three of us puppeteering and voicing these vegetables and then off the back of that was when they asked if I would like to uh, be Hootabelle Hey Hootabelle we fly together well Bouncing off the clouds into an ocean full of stars High above the city lights that shine like little diamonds The Giggle and Hoot world is incredibly unique and mm. beautiful and, you know, there's a team of people who work incredibly hard to make mm. that happen. Um, there's a new woman called Jackie doing Hootabelle at the moment because yep. I've since moved on. And it was wonderful to see her come in and, you know, recreate a similar but new energy for the character of Hootabelle and she's doing an outstanding job of it. I was going to say, are you the type of person that sort of looks back and goes, oh, I kind of miss those days or do you go, it's finished, I learned a lot, it's um, time to move on? Yeah, look, I think of life that comes in chapters and... 
I will forever be um, think so fondly and be grateful for my time within Giggle and Hoot and ABC Kids mm. doing that. It taught me. It taught me my straps in television. It was working every week of the year in a studio space with incredibly accomplished mm. team of, you know, creators and, you know, the crew, the DOPs, the sound guys, and they teach you the craft of TV, studio television, when you're there. Um, mm. And while I was doing that was when I started creating the Nay Nay content, writing songs, um, you know, pushing my own creativity into different avenues and learning the design principles and and all of that. And, uh, yeah, I think that was a really rich time for my life. And apart from anything else, that team is just the funnest, most awesome team. I loved working with Nick and Jimmy and the creative team and Karen, our director. We just had so much fun. You basically go to work and laugh. You know, that's kind of what your job is, which is a pretty good job for four, four and a half years. It was amazing. When I woke up today, I was a dinosaur. I was a dinosaur. I was a dinosaur. Rah! 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 I was a dinosaur. When I... So when you so you started having the, the thoughts about Nene and creating it, and you're creating it in your own head, or you're sort of now yeah. at home sketching and things like that. I um, it purely started as writing music, writing kids' music, um, and trying to think about what, um, you know, what I thought kids might enjoy listening to. And then what I kind of committed to doing was I was like, I'm going to write songs and then I'm going to go and get myself a spot at all the Inner West Spring Festivals. And yeah, because one of your first shows was at a preschool or something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was um, at Kenthurst Preschool. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe How three years ago, not like- even three years but it was, um, you know, it was a beautiful gig. It was just a friend of a friend said, well, hey, you know, you want to try out your music? Why don't you come and do this preschool gig? And it was huge. There were thousands of children there. And it was a real wonderful, genuine moment to go, I'm going to sing songs and, you know, dance about and be a bit of a, you know, nutter and see genuinely what, what they respond to. And there's songs that I performed that day that are on the album mm. and there's songs that will never again see the light of day. Uh, and that's just the way it works. But I really like that thing. I find in my industry you spend a lot of time with adults telling each other what kids will like and sometimes they nail it and sometimes you're just like, yeah, I don't know about yeah, that. And, and you, you know, I think that happens with every artist mm. is there's songs that just go, nope, that didn't work at all, even though I thought that was a pure recipe for kid awesomeness um was it reasonably daunting first time you stood in front of actual children to perform your songs no you know what i love like (laughs) this is really daggy but i really love performing and so you know the performing part of that day was not daunting what was daunting was getting because i had some set pieces you know the costumes the logistics of how was you know and i had very young children at that time so how i was going to have them looked after while i focused and get the gig done and what microphone do i want the sound guy to order and how am i going to get him to cue tracks and like that that is the like nerve-wracking part of the day the bit where i'm just up there having a sing and engaging looking at the kid having individual moments with them that's the easy part that's just a joy and that that stands to this day yep before I get to the music itself, I want to mm. just have a talk about the image um, because it's really specific uh, mm. in, in terms of um, 
the clips and everything, it's a very specific image. And I, and I think you've got like an original clip to the Bubbles, Bubble and Pop yeah, that was I out, do. which I guess was I just, just shot at home. Yeah, just you sort of getting the music out there, I imagine. Yeah, um, trialling it, yeah. So, so that image, how much of that did you get people in to help you construct who Nene is or did you have a pretty clear vision? I yeah. mean, how fastidious are you, particularly with the clips and things like that? Are you sort of all over it or do you give people freedom to kind of go, hey, we think it's this? Yeah, look, it's probably a double... Double-edged question, that one. I very... When I started trialling the music, I kind of then focused very minutely on what, what is actually missing in this kid's market. And I feel like the preschool realm, like that true kind of zero to four realm, is really saturated in Australia as far as I was concerned and done really well. So I'm kind of like, we don't need another version of that. What I was noticing as my kids were getting older was kind of in that four to seven age group there's not a lot there. Mm. There's not a lot in that kind of transitional to preschool um, realm. And then, so what was happening in, in far as I could see was people were kind of dancing to the wiggles, really enjoying that. And then they're going straight to Katy Perry and Taylor Swift, which in some of the music catalog of those artists is perfect, fine firework, mm. you know, raw, like great inspirational songs and the polished high end glitz, which kids were starting to attract mm. to, but the content is not all appropriate. So, you know, you go onto YouTube and you're watching Katy Perry, there's one track that's really wonderful and inspirational, and then it'll auto-choose you in the next track, which yeah, is completely inappropriate exactly for a six-year-old. I'm having my five-year-old daughter at the moment. So that to me was, I was like, there's a, there's a gap there. So what is it that's kind of attracting them to that higher-end content? And I found that it was, it was the gloss. It is the beautifully, you know, branded polished costumes the like the detail of it the way they light things the way they shoot things like cinema um and kind of but what what i did find was when i then matched that with age appropriate lyrics and content um it really worked they were like oh that's like you know the kids were kind of going you know kids will come to my gigs there'll be six-year-olds who look at you like you're an absolute superstar and they want autographs and they want photos for mum's Instagram and it's kind of like but it but they've also done you a drawing so they're still kind of like going here's a drawing of you and me and your airship everybody has something to say but we all say it in a different way you gotta use your voice or sign with your hands write it down do whatever you can it's not trying to compete in with things that are already being done well in the market, but it has to be glossy. So the main thing was is, you know, usually traditionally in Australia, people would go, okay, we've got 14 songs. We're going to shoot all of them over three days with green screens and high content, like high rotated, you know, lots of content packed in. Mm. Whereas I was like, nope, we're only shooting one clip a day and I'll take any budget you can get and I'll make it work to make it as glossy and beautiful as possible. So I hired teams that were more likely to have shot Sony film clips, like music video sort of stuff. Do what you do, but make them listen to you. Things, I mean, you touched on a lot of things I sort of want to ask, but the first one, talking about that high gloss, I want to talk about the the actual music mm-hmm. itself. Yeah. I mean, it is. There's some pretty serious people working on that album. Yeah. Like, there's some really, I mean, um, 
Scott Applin was one of mm-hmm. them. I mean, he because he, he was the music coordinator Director on the voice. the voice. That's right. And that's about as high in that line of profession. That's about as high as you're going to get in this country. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's Scott a pretty. A I mean, do you know him or did you? I, look, I was looking knock for. On his door and, I was looking for co-writers. He is a friend of a friend of mine, and that friend had suggested, "Hey, you should possibly do some writing with Scotty. I think he'd be into that." Um, And I think writing music is very, you know, it's very personal. Like I take, the way I approach music is I have kind of a concept and what it should sound like type of thing. And quite often I'll pen a bunch of lyrics and then I kind of try and find the right match specifically for that song type. Mm. So if I'm kind of writing like a hip hop-esque song, I'm not going to use Scotty for that Scotty that's not Scotty's specialty um you know I'll use someone who works incredibly well in the pop true music industry in that kind of realm and that's then led to really good Mm. results um you know the songs I wrote with Scotty were I have a voice and smash it down and particularly I have a voice I think Scotty just shone on Mm. because it's kind of it was a bit like that old like Sesame Street 70s cool Mm. feel that we wanted to get and then using Tony uh, who produced the album you know, to really bring that into flourish worked. Oh, really sorry, well. so Tony produced it, wasn't he? He was a yeah, consistent no, through the whole yes, thing. Yes, yeah. Tony produced the whole album. Yep. We did it with a live band. We recorded it in, you know, beautiful studios. You had a whole bunch of writers coming in on different things and mm-hmm. helping you out. Is it was it did you find that pretty hard to make sure your voice was kept true through all of that? Like I mean, are these people you approached or that you knew mm. or was it just blind luck that you worked people, well with them? People write differently. Some people so the guy wrote um Pubble Pop with is a writer called Fergus Brown. Um, He's an incredible top-line writer. He writes a mean, awesome melody and hook. That's his specialty. Um, He is learning production, but that's not his specialty. So it was very easy for us to go just, you know what, we're going to record it into a voice memo. He's going to strum his guitar and we're just going to write an awesome song. And then it becomes, you know, Tony's job to kind of produce the track. Now, that's not everyone I wrote with. So um, Jay Cabrera, who I wrote, uh, my brother ate my Lego and Louis the dog with. He is a top to bottom producer. You mm. could you could easily have gotten him to produce the album. He does that incredibly well. But because what I needed through the album was a consistency in sound when I'd written with different people, I thought it was best to kind of bring one producer in and the band. So we recorded every song with that live band, brilliant musos, Mm. you know, um, amazing musos. And we did every song with that sort of treatment. So when you're working with someone, I mean, you, uh, I mean, let's look at My Brother Ate My Lego. Are you, is is just that particular song, I mean, is that an example of you arriving with lyrics and a feel or is that with you turning out with a couple of chords on a guitar? Yeah, that song. How does it normally work or is every every song have a different? Every song's different. That song was penned, I I think I was going at the time, I'm like, I'm going to write a children's book and or a poem or something and I I wrote every lyric of My Brother Ate My Lego that way it was just rhyme you know good rhythm it was written that way at the time you know my son was obsessed with lego and my daughter was crawling and mouth she was mouthing everything so he was so frustrated because anytime he wanted to sit down and do his lego she'd come along and pick up a piece of lego and slobber all over it and you know he found that so frustrating um so that's what the story of that was um and then so yeah i took that song to jay and 
I kind of was like, oh, I think it might sound like this, but I was wrong. It shouldn't have sounded like the song I mentioned at all. And then we kind of trialed some different things. We trialed, you know, because that's a kind of more of a rap mm. song, we found a really good BPM for it. Like how fast can we rap it? What makes it sit well? Yep. And he kind of helped me come up with the melody for the, whoa, my brother ain't my Lego. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful hook of a sound. And mm. then we just played with different sounds underneath it and landed on it that way. Well, but that's different to other, other, other approaches. Processes, yeah. The songs on your album, are, there's, a, there's a lot of elements in every song. Very well you know you don't know that they're there but mm. there's a lot going on and I found that with most of the songs that it would sort of start in a way and I'd kind of go okay well this is sort of the vibe mm. of the song but then I'd get halfway through it and go oh, okay that's kind of not what I thought yeah. the song was going to be yep. how much of these musical elements are really strong in your or is it just like do you sort of go well okay I really require this kind of thing like we need to work more on the song or do you really just it's just about working with great people that sort of Look, have those in terms of um in terms of song structure it probably it probably depends on the song some songs are just awesome first chorus first chorus with a bridge maybe sort of style and that's that's fine I'm a I'm a bit more of a storyteller in my songs and the way I kind of um, present the music and maybe that's possibly because always with the music writing it was leading towards this kind of tinker time nay nay you know idea and, and brand like it wasn't just about chucking together a couple yeah. of songs that became the kids album. There's always that in the background. So it kind of sits in with the the principles and the ethos of Nay Nay and Tinker Time and what I want people to be getting out of the music. So in terms of the structure of the song, sometimes it'll go off into a more storytelling, sure. changing of a song style of thing. Um, when it comes to actually what's in the production of the song – you know, hats off to Tony because he's just, he's a mastermind of music. You know, he, they recently won awards for Montaigne's album. He recently wrote brilliant stuff with Lior for, you know, her theatrical production. He is one of the greats of production. Re- recently moved to LA and you just wait. Like, yes. you are going to get so much come from this yeah. guy. And to watch him work, and I was incredibly respectful of allowing him to do his job while we were making the album. So, you know, he does a genius job of looking at mm. as a pure, beautiful composition from yeah. the ground up. And I think that's the treatment that this album got, you know, that others don't always get because some people, you know, you just record in a very economical way with yeah. one person, you know, on a computer. And that's a, you know, some of the best albums in the world yeah. have been recorded that way. That's not judgment. It's just a different yes. approach. No, I I was lucky to get to record that way and I was lucky to have ABC Music support to Mm. allow us to record that way. And the nicest thing is I think sometimes when you're going into those rooms and you think, oh, we're recording a kid's album, you know, and he's just recently recorded the award-winning ARIA album, you think, you know, you feel a bit apologetic and not for a second did I have to feel that way. He took this album as seriously as he would have taken the next Grammy award-winning album. It just, whatever he's working on at that point in time gets 
4,000% focus and is taken incredibly seriously. Like I watched him ride musicians where he's like, that's out of time. Like you got to get that in time. Like we're not fixing that with the computer. This is dog. This is cat. They're the best of friends from way back. How they met, nobody knows. Because they come from very different homes. Cat eats fish. Dog chews bones. Cat meows and dog balls. The best of friends, but always left out. Because the other dogs and cats will always shout. The one thing that's that's constant through it, well, not constant, but the thing that really stood out for me is it is there's just a, it's fun. There's there's a real strong mm. sense of fun, and also lyrically as well. I, I kind of had these images that it was. I had these images of being sort of seven and eight, and kind of just on a hot day eating ice blocks out the front of my mate's lawn and there's Mm. seven of us all just talking about total nonsense and I kind of got that sense from it that you're just sort of there with other kids just sort of hanging out going oh my brother my Lego he's my dog you know it's just you kind of conversationally sort of yeah is that something that you're conscious of or is that just quite lucky no it's very much to be just kid play like I think um you know a lot of people make really great educational music content or that is never what I'm intend to do I am all just about imagination learning through play being silly, being unafraid of mistakes, you know, exaggeration when it's called for. Um, yeah, just just that sort of thing. Like, so, you know, sometimes there's a couple of lyrics on, um, you know, on the album, like I think in Cats and Dogs, you know, we talk about like um, foe, like instead of, you know, he's my foe or as opposed to friend. And someone's like, oh, good luck explaining foe to kids. And I'm like, does it matter? Mm. Like that's that's a word they can look it up mm. if they if they get that focused in on the lyric and you can work out you know what kids are taught to do is work out the meaning of a word by the words it's surrounded by. Mm. That's just a general yeah. comprehension tool. And I'm like, it's a it sounds awesome. It's fun. It's a fun word for someone you don't like mm. or an enemy. You know, an enemy is a really strong word. And, you know, just put it in. Yeah. Like, it's a, that's a cool word to use. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I'm not going to downplay to kids. There'll be things that go over their heads. There'll be things that really yeah, resonate. Sure. Maybe tomorrow we'll swim in the ocean. Maybe we'll walk in the Tomorrow we'll roll down the hillside Maybe we'll ride on a train I found the easiest way to make decisions through moving all of this brand forward is it has to come back to kind of what my core principles are. And um, one of them is female at the forefront. And the reason for that, and a lot of the underneath, a lot of the ideas are quite STEM-based. So STEM is science, technology, engineering, maths, and about problem solving and being unafraid to fail. Like I think there is a lot pushed on kids these days that everyone has to win everything or everyone gets a trophy for everything. Whereas I'm like, no, you didn't nail that. And like, move on, like either learn from it and get it right next time or just go, oh, that's okay. I'm not very good at that or like, and not feel completely the weight of your world on your shoulders if you didn't nail that or if you built something and it fell down and acknowledge the frustration like you know um but then get up and have another crack at it or or you know or get some help from someone who's naturally winning at that or 
stuff about female first is not because I'm trying to create just a brand for girls uh, so far from all the research the brand hits very well on you know completely gender neutral terms but as a country and as a world if we're trying to move girls forward in those stem-based subjects which you know is very popular culture talk at the moment um, in all countries if you want kind of girls in leadership roles you know uh, being engineers kind of being at the root of solving environmental problems then we need to be building girls up as engineers and the stats are showing this that they're not they're dropping out around the age of five or six they're not associating themselves with the word smart or problem solving um you know they're dropping out of mass at great rates of knots and that's um that's troubling to me and I'm not I'm not a you know I'm not a maths nerd myself I didn't grow up as an engineer if anything I was probably one of those girls who was like yeah I don't know I just I can't think of it that way and because people didn't know how to teach me science or maths in that in a way that made sense to me I just kind of pulled back from it so you know and I feel like the only way to skew to get girls at the forefront of that is to put girls at the forefront of it even if it's not yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'm explaining this very well. But you have no, to skew no, towards girls to then allow girls to come on the ride. No, I the boys will yeah. come on the ride anyway. No, no totally. Um, it's it, it, the, the example needs to be there to to kind of see that in yourself in the first place, I guess. Mm. And, and there's not a great deal of examples or role models for that yeah. in, in that area. You have a lot of kids in your songs and clips mm. as well. Um, is that just a if was that just a decision based on you know kids are going to kind of respond be- better to children uh, or was no? It the just... um, look, that's um, it's funny you say that because a lot of people now when they're making kids content especially for in the four to nine age group say no kids have to be at the forefront of it kids want to watch kids kids want to watch kids and and I do believe that kids like watching other children um casting children in those video clips was not was not to go get eyeballs like not to go oh kids have to watch kids so that's why they're in there casting kids in there was for the pure reason of going you know, like one of the clips, I have a voice. There are a lot of kids' vocals in that track because that is a song that is purely about kids feeling like they do have a voice, they can be heard, and that we want to hear what they have to say however they have to say it. So whether it's sign language, whether it's by writing it down, by whether it's in multi-languages, even if it's just through a hug or, you know, like emotional communication I want to know what you have to say. So it makes total sense to have kids in that song and a wide range of children. So I was incredibly deliberate to be representing kids of different culture, different age groups, kids with special needs. um, And that was absolutely at the forefront. It would be, we found some kids with special needs who want to be involved in this. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to make the set work for them. So you can't have your hair dryer going while this kid is on set, he doesn't like it. Yeah. That's fine. You know, you, you make sure that every kid in that space feels safe to be there and have their voice. In other ones, um, I like the idea of, in my product, um, all kids are tinkerers, all kids are adventurers, all kids are explorers. So it was just a natural connection to have, you know, in Bubble Pop, the other tinkerers yeah, in sure. there, you know, tinkering away in the background. Well, again, it goes back to chaos. Uh, yeah, I also think it goes back to that fun element in what you do as well. Like, I, I yeah, think just having other play. people around makes sense, you know, because yeah. you're having fun with other people. There'll be other songs that won't have kids, and it just depends on the track, really. I'm a star, a big burning ball of 
Television takes forever, so it's going to feel like forever, especially if you're a kid, because everything feels like it takes forever. The first launch will be um, my I'm upping my YouTube channel this year, so as kids are watching content on different platforms, 85% of kids are watching their content on YouTube, so that's going to be the first place I really, yeah, on on YouTube. Yep, and not necessarily YouTube Kids, just YouTube. YouTube, Um, Now YouTube Kids is obviously a wonderful, safe space, and the the push will be to get the algorithm going that Mm. kids end up watching my content on YouTube Kids. Um, But that's going to be where I'm going to be pushing most of my energies for the time being. Um, Now, a lot of that is Tinker Time based. So you'll be seeing characters in that content that will be in the more linear TV series. But because I'm sick of people waiting for content, it's going to start that way and then gradually build up to the TV series. And and realistically, too, that's just how people are greenlighting television at the moment is you can either push your TV show, wait five years to have it made, or you can kind of digitally trial it and then use those analytics that are out there from that digital content and then see what people like and then convince people to make the bigger series because, hey, kids are watching this, the proof's there, that's what they're watching. Let's go with the series. I get the feeling there's a bit of anticipation around it. Like, is there, is yeah. there a lot of people waiting? There is. There is. Um, does that, does it, does that it doesn't bother me. No, or? it um, it's you like just exciting. have to. It's it is exciting. I have a lot of fans who want more and more content, but I think the thing is, is because I've approached content in a high end way. Um, you do get less content because it is, you know, like how many how many music videos does Katy Perry release through two years? Possibly 12 to 16, and people just watch that content over and over again. Um, so, you know, because I didn't initially take the money I had and make 26 videos, there isn't then a DVD that comes out. It doesn't have its own iView channel because there's not enough content to fill that. But it's interesting how even with the, you know, like smaller number of clips I have on air that work on rotation on ABC Kids or on YouTube, people are viewing and people want to see it yeah. and the live shows still sell out and people still want you to come and meet and greet even with that lesser amount of content yeah. that they love. So it's frustrating for me because you just, you just want to get it all made yeah, yeah, and put yeah. it all out there, but it also takes time. Yeah. So it'll be really fun this year to launch that channel and, you know, that'll have dedicated weekly content and music videos that come out through the year and you know I'm sure people will eat it up and it'll be really rewarding to get it out there but the planning has been you know is just as careful about so you're getting it out there in the right way yeah and I guess I mean are you are you at the stage yet where you're looking beyond it or are you just oh, yeah, is it just so exhausting at the moment no, that's kind of where you're at there's a very yeah. clear five-year <laughs> plan there yep, yeah sure that um yeah that kind of happens in you know, like my husband and I like to talk about it as the Marvel stages of rollout. Like the phase one is these characters and then phase two and this and then this eventizes this thing. And, and it's, it is strategy, um, but it's also, 
you know, I'm still, I'm still a mum and yes. a person trying to get, you know, c- content out there and funded and, and so on. So there's and hiccups. it's your job. It's I mean, my like, job, yeah. you know. So there's things that stop that. Um, like I had all these plans to be really active in January and then I was like, oh, that's right. I have two kids who are at home on holidays. I didn't get anything done. Ah, <laughs> oh, that was, you know, set me back a month. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that's just yeah, what that's it is. That's a five-year and one-month plan. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. So that's just kind of how it happens and, and you've got to be flexible in your thinking and yeah go with it that way um well look uh thank you very much for your time today i appreciate you talking to me and and filling us in um it's a really great album and it is great content and you you know look it is everything you say it is really high end and i think that's why it stands out and um it was nice to hear you explain that because it just it it kind of made you know Hmm. it was like you could see that and then hear it you go yeah of course that's sort of what I'll probably edit this bit out. That's all right. No, <laughs> um, go for it. But, yeah, no, thank you very much for your time and uh, having a chat to me today and we wait with bated breath for the, for <laughs> uh, the thanks, releases as oh, they It's come. coming soon. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about Nene, then visit her website at www.nene.com and for more Parent Time goodness, visit www.bennytime.com. Thanks for listening to me, Benny. Ask people questions. Wow.